This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Letter 25. My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian colouring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. That is an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, letter 25, on Christianity and... Is that what it takes for stories to get covered by the media, Christianity and... Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. You are joining us from Los Angeles. What are you doing there today? This is really exciting in the sense that this is the sort of thing I used to get to do before covid kind of shut us all down. I am taking part, or took part in a two-day forum for reporters, and today with some religious leaders, basically talking about what makes religion news a complex topic. And what was interesting is that most of the reporters who took part were not religion reporters, for a rule, or many of them were not. So that was very interesting, talking to people from the Los Angeles Times and other places about what is religion news, what makes it hard to cover. And then today, we were talking to religious leaders, several of them from alternative religious groups like the Sikh faith or something like that. And we were talking to them about what do journalists think news is? In other words, what causes a lot of the tensions between the press and religious leaders? And then... Basically, this this hinges on whether you call the press wanting to get something covered or whether the press calls you because of either a scandal or a controversy or some topic they want you to talk about. So a lot changes depending on which direction the phone call goes. So that's what I was here. I love talking about this stuff. When I taught at Denver Seminary, I used to talk to clergy about this all the time. And frankly, they just couldn't figure out what news means, and put the word news inside quote marks, what news means to the typical journalist. What kind of feedback did you get from journalists there at the Pointer Conference? Well, the most common thing you hear from religious leaders is, well, those journalists, they just want controversy, they just want to sell newspapers. And there is some truth to that, and we can come back to it. And we heard that some today— but we heard them say over and over, but we're holding an event or we're doing something that we think is really colorful and important, but the journalists just don't seem to agree. Why? What makes them 
so disconnected from religious groups. So that's, once again, half the equation. One of the things we heard over and over from reporters was, if you stop and think about it, the other question in the mirror image, how do you deal with hostile religious leaders? How do you deal with clergy and bishops and parachurch leaders? How do you deal with people who don't want to answer your questions? How do you make them trust you? How do you try to earn their trust? So do you hear how that's really the same equation, only looked at from different directions? Fascinating stuff. Fundamentally, what do you think many church leaders fail to understand about journalism that makes them unable, perhaps, to understand what the media is all about? I think the best way to answer that question is to kind of make a reference here to the man who put the forum together, and that's the veteran pointer leader, Ali Cologne, who for years led their ethics department. He fills the night chair in journalism studies at Washington and Lee University. And I've known Ali for over 20 years, and we've been discussing these subjects. And what he asked the religious leaders today, I'm going to walk into answering your question through the lens he used. He kept saying, okay, religious leaders, when you call the press, let's put the equation that direction. When you call the press or when you send the press a press release, what's your goal? And basically, they all admitted that their goal basically was favorable coverage of their group or their movement, good publicity for an event that's coming up, or just good publicity for their public image or whatever. So in other words, their primary goal was public relations, period, happy stuff. And we tried to get them to understand that that's not what works with the press very often at all. The press wants to know if what you're doing is either a valid news story in and of itself, or it's a church event that's linked to a subject that the press has already decided is news. And this gets us back to something that you and I talked about recently with the Asbury University revival. I kind of laughingly said people should listen to Screwtape Letter Number 25 by C.S. Lewis, which was where Screwtape, the demon, wants to convince people that what they need is Christianity and. So Christian faith plus some hip modern subject, environmentalism, spelling reform, C.S. Lewis says, or some other things. But even though that kind of it sounds like you're making journalists into demons and screw tape letter people, journalists really do need a subject that they can sell to their editors that it's news, that this is an event, it's a religious event, but it's really linked to a topic that's newsworthy for coverage. But the minute you've raised that, the typical pastor or religious leader can immediately think of cases that don't fit that scenario. Let me give you one. When I go out to eat in restaurants in the Knoxville area where people have been seeing my picture in the paper for 35 years, you know, on top of my column, I frequently get questions from people going like, what's 
going on with the newspaper. And somebody once asked what I thought was a perfectly legitimate question. There had been a page one story in the local newspaper a couple of days earlier, and it was about a semi-religious controversy. And you'll be shocked to know it was some sort of University of Tennessee demonstration related to gay rights or sex positive week or something like that. And you had a picture of a parade or a demonstration on campus. And if you looked at the picture, I did a little bit of head counting, and there were about 45 or 50 people in this demonstration. And it was a page one news story. In other words, the paper is telling you this is one of the most important things that happened in our city yesterday. Okay, now we can debate whether or not that's true. Here's the interesting question the reader asked me. He said, a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of churches in our area did a regional conference on the topic of sex trafficking, illegal movements of women and girls, and even sometimes young boys, through the Appalachian area because of all those interstates that flow through our region. We're a major area of sex trafficking between Atlanta, Miami, down in the south, and then up toward the eastern seaboard with Washington, Philadelphia, New York, etc. A lot of sex trafficking, tragically, goes through our area. And some churches wanted to know how to get into ministry with women trying to get out of that horrible, hellish system. And this minister said, you know, we called. And we tried to get coverage of that because we thought that was a newsworthy subject. I mean, that's a plague on our region. Why wasn't that news? And what I had to say to him was, I have no idea. To me, that sounds like a much more important story than the march on the UT campus with like 45 or 50 people. The fact that they had more than a thousand people at this conference from churches in our region, and they couldn't get the local paper to cover it. And that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of, you explain people that they're supposed to be doing stuff that's constructive and it's newsworthy and it's part of a valid public debate on an important topic. And then you have something like that happen. Well, I told him, well, maybe that was just a night when they didn't have a spare reporter. You know, the economics of the news business have cut staff. Maybe they literally didn't have anybody who could go cover that story. I think that conference was on a Saturday. Maybe everybody was busy covering NASCAR, you know, or a football game or something. I don't remember. But it's always possible that the paper just didn't have resources. But then again, it's also possible that there were more editors in the newsroom that thought a controversy about LGBTQ issues on a Southern State University campus was more interesting and more newsworthy than a bunch of evangelicals getting together and talking about a subject that was newsworthy. But, I mean, if liberals talked about stopping sex trafficking, maybe we'd cover it. But well, the evangelicals just probably want to do it to convert people, right? So you could have had stereotypes and negative stereotypes could have been involved in the decision. But I had to tell the man, I don't know. But that's the kind of question 
I get asked by people, ordinary readers, all the time. And it's very hard to explain why journalists make some of the decisions that they do and why they don't think some things are news. I'll give you one other funny case story from my own life. Years ago in Charlotte, I got a phone call from a big megachurch, and this megachurch was going to open its new education and recreation building. They were spending you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It might have been a million. They were building this big, huge building, and they thought that that was newsworthy. And I told them, well, churches open big new buildings all the time, and we don't cover it. And the minister fired back and said, yeah, but the other day you wrote that story about the battle at the downtown Episcopal Church on whether or not they should replace just one window that was in their sanctuary or, or in their building. Come to think of it, it wasn't in the sanctuary, but it was in part of this building. Why was that news? And our big new building is not news. Is it because we're evangelicals and they're Episcopalians or what? And I told him, well, the reason I wrote about it is because that church is a historic building and they were having to move all heaven and earth to get permission historically just to replace a window because they had to replace the original window in this part of the building and they couldn't get glass. So there was this kind of complicating artistic historical overlay to that other story. And he just wasn't buying it. He says, it's just because you don't want to write about our church and you want to write about the Episcopalians. And that was an example to me of a religious leader not listening to what I was saying. There was a historical and kind of semi-controversial reason for why this this kind of squabble in this historic Episcopal church was news. And the brand new building at a big suburban megachurch wasn't news because, frankly, that happens all the time. And so that's a more typical angry phone call that I get from ordinary readers and stuff. This is a hard thing to explain to people. There are so many variables. Terry, why is it important for religious leaders to contact, kind of take that initiative and contact the local news media outlets to establish just a relationship? Yeah. Well, first of all, you do that because that's how other civic groups relate to the press. And they do that for a reason, because they've learned that it's important to, I guess, prime the pump would be the cliche. But but it also means that the first time you talk to that newsroom, the first time you find out what editors do what, that it isn't in the midst of a crisis. It isn't because something terrible has happened in your church or a controversy or your denomination has blown sky high. And now you've got journalists calling you, as opposed to you calling the press trying to get PR. Now you've got people calling you about things that you may not want to talk about, or in some cases even things you can't legally talk about. So it's good to have that relationship for two reasons. One, because it helps the religious leaders learn who does what in the newsroom what reporters specialize in what kind of coverage, and that may not be religion. It may be business or sports or whatever. But you find out kind of who does what. You find out who the chain of command is in the newsroom. 
and like you get a a call from a young reporter who's totally out of line, it kind of helps to already have had lunch once or twice with the editor and call them up and say, hey, we're willing to work with you on this story, but the whole angle that reporter's taking is just impossible for us to deal with because of privacy laws. In other words, you have an intelligent discussion with them, and that's possible because you already know who they are, and they know who you are. I think a lot of, oh, Lutheran bishops and Southern Baptist megachurch leaders and canon lawyers for Roman Catholic archdiocese and stuff, I think a lot of people like that should sit down and find out who in their organization is actually good at talking to the media, who understands the local media institutions, for Pete's sake, who reads the newspaper, who understands a little bit of normal information about the journalists in that building so that when the time comes to talk to them, you're ready to do so. So starting off with that relationship is a great place to start because it usually will give you more options for how to relate to the press, especially if it's a negative story. So let's talk about that negative scenario where the reporter actually calls. Let's just take an example of, say, a denominational leader starting at that, that kind of level. The right. reporter calls, well, they've got to go through a bunch of people in order to talk to that person, but what does the church leader need to know about that conversation going in? Yeah, let's go back for a second to, to what Ali Colon was talking about. When you call the newspaper, what's your goal? So this time, let's think about it. When the newspaper calls you, what's the newspaper's goal? And I frankly think a lot of religious leaders view that phone call purely with distrust. They just want to stoke up a fire and, in effect, cause a controversy and get me in trouble or something like that. I've I've literally had religious leaders say that. I have no incentive to take that call because all they're going to do is make things hard for me, make my life more complicated. Well, that may be, in fact, the truth, but you know what? Sometimes there are religious leaders who deserve controversy, and there really are things going on that are newsworthy, and they deserve to speak to their own people through the media and to speak to the public. Something that I I say to religious leaders over and over and over, you can't make a bad story go away if the bad story's real. When you think of the last couple of decades of public life in America— The classic example of this would be something like the Roman Catholic sexual abuse crisis or just the death dive demographics of liberal mainland Protestantism would be another example of a negative story that is not going to go away. And at some point, religious leaders have to decide, okay, this negative story is real. Thus, how can... I talk about it with and provide valid information, and by the way, not lie, not dissemble. What can I do that's honest? What can I do that's accurate? And what can I do that actually plays a constructive role in a public debate? 
this is another one of the things I tell religious leaders all the time. You can't make a negative story go away. It's a miracle if the newspaper reports the story and you're half the dialogue and your point of view is accurately represented and the public gets to read it or hear it. That's a media marketplace miracle if that happens, especially for conservative religious groups. And relationship and skill and being careful is all a part of the equation of talking to the press on difficult subjects and having it turn out okay. Today I was I was recommending to the religious leaders something that I recommended to the reporters yesterday. If you're dealing with a really hostile situation between the media and a religious organization, you've got a really five-star nasty controversy. And the religious leader says, I'm not going to give you an interview. I refuse to talk. I suggest that the religious leader or the reporter or both make the following suggestion. Okay, we'll meet face-to-face, not on the telephone. We'll meet face-to-face, and you record the interview with an audio recorder, and I'll record the interview with the audio recorder. That way, both of us have copies of what is said. Both of us know the details of this conversation. That's going to make the journalist much more careful about being accurate with their quotes and being fair-minded with the context for those quotes. In effect, the journalist is being humble and saying, I'm willing to be scrutinized as well as we're going to scrutinize you. Because don't forget, this has happened in a couple of cases. You've had situations where both sides recorded an interview. The newspaper ran quotes that the leader, I mean, in one case, a Catholic bishop that I know, considered unfair. And so the bishop, in the age of the Internet, the bishop just ran the transcript online, put the verbatim quotes right on the Internet, which probably didn't look all that good for the newspaper because some editors had done some paraphrasing that twisted the words or put things out of context. And the bishop, by being careful and having recorded it himself, had the ability to show the public that he was misquoted. So that may feel kind of hostile to treat a journalist that way. But frankly, if I'm a journalist, I can live with that because that gets me the interview. That gets me the information I need, and more than anything else, I don't want to write a story in which a major stakeholder in the story, a major group of people whose lives are going to be touched by the writing of the story, I want their point of view in the story. And I'm pretty much willing to do whatever it takes to be able to get it in there in terms of getting the interview, getting the interview recorded, getting it transcribed and being able to use good quotes. Very often it's going to be a church leader attempting to dodge the press, but sometimes they want to pitch a story, even if it's only a press release that's sent to a local paper or something like that. How do you pitch a story to a journalist? First of all, I wouldn't do it with a press release. And the reason is that limits your ability to talk to the journalist 
about whether this may be a story or not. Whereas if you send it in a press release, you have to have absolutely nailed it in terms of predicting a topic that's going to be news. Let me give you an example that's not related to religion. When I was teaching at Milligan College years ago in Northeast Tennessee, I saw a packet of PR materials from a local hospital that was going to be doing a conference. Issues, etc., in medicine or something like that. And the public relations person was savvy enough that out of all the topics that were going to be discussed at this conference, they led with the fact that someone was going to be speaking on new and updated research on links between tobacco and cancer. Now, what made that smart, even though it was kind of courting controversy, quite frankly, is Northeast Tennessee is tobacco country. It's right on the edge of the mountain region that's been famous for a century or more for its growth of tobacco. There are tobacco farms all over the mountains of North Carolina and the regions of the Great Tennessee Valley and then the North Carolina side of the Blue Ridge as well. So in effect, this person said, oh, we've scheduled a forum during this event that I already know is newsworthy in my region. That's what I'll lead with. A while ago when I mentioned that human trafficking conference, that's why it was so mysterious to me that the press didn't cover it, because that was a great topic to have approached the press about for coverage. Years ago when I was working in Charlotte, I was visiting an African-American church that was upset with me about the fact that I hadn't written about a very happy PR thing they wanted me to write about. And when I got to the church to talk to the pastor, kind of one of those relationship-building conversations, I noticed that two weeks earlier, they had had an entire weekend with guest speakers and stuff dedicated to kind of the crisis, of the breakdown of the modern African-American family. And I asked the pastor, why didn't you call me about that? That's an incredibly newsworthy subject. I would have been over here in a flash. My editors would have wanted that covered in part because the paper earlier in the year had run a big, massive poll and series of stories about problems raising young people in American life and why do some young people fare better than others. And the number one cause of problems was family breakdown. So in effect, they were doing a conference about a topic our newspaper had already declared was newsworthy. And the pastor said, but it's kind of a an embarrassing subject and we don't want to talk about it. And I went, well, you're talking about it to each other. Why not let the city in on that conversation and see if good things could come out of that discussion? Maybe it would help other churches think about it. And he admitted that they had probably missed an opportunity. But that's an example of what you're talking about. You have to have learned enough about the media to find out what some of the subjects are that they're going to consider to be news. And it's not always politics. It may be music. It may be art. It may be things related to trends in youth life and culture. Right now, if the Missouri Synod Lutheran Churches of St. Louis held a regional conference to help parents deal with the power of smartphones, 
in the lives of their children, I would be disappointed if the local media didn't show up for that event for the simple reason that's a newsworthy topic. And Missouri Synod Lutherans matter in St. Louis. Put that together, you should get coverage. Every time I've ever seen a program for one of the Issues Etc. conferences, I've always thought there were at least one or two sessions in there that you had a decent possibility of getting mainstream news coverage of a presentation. If someone like a Ross Douthat or something like that is speaking, Robbie George from Princeton, these people are newsworthy. They're worth covering. But are your religious leaders savvy enough to recognize that? And have they already built a relationship with the local editors so that they can call them up and say, here's what we're doing. Does this sound newsworthy to you? And then see where that dialogue takes them. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, we'll talk with you again next week. You bet. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.